A reading from Genesis chapter 32. That same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck Jacob on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The dawn is breaking. Streaks of light across the deep blue sky and Jacob is nearly worn out from his all-night wrestling with a stranger. How it all began, Jacob is not exactly sure, except that as he was fleeing the completely justified wrath of his older brother, the brother whose rightful inheritance and blessing he had stolen years before, in his fleeing, Jacob sends his family across the river and then waits by the riverbank alone. A man appears, and the two begin to wrestle, to strive, to grab and push and pull and grapple on the dirty, dusty ground. This match lasts all night until the streaks of light in the sky make it possible for them to see each other face to face at last. They're at a standstill until the man strikes Jacob's hip and puts it out of joint. That seems to be the end. Let me go, says the man. The day is breaking. Jacob will not. Beaten, nearly defeated, down to his last few breaths, Jacob demands that this night, this struggle, come with more than wrestling. I will not let you go until you bless me, he says. And the man says to Jacob, what is your name? Wrestling with God is usually a metaphor that we use to talk about how difficult and complex and draining faith can be. It brings us hope, but also questions, wonder, but also anger, doubt and confusion and hope. But in this story, the wrestling is not a metaphor, it's literal. The exhaustion, the frustration, the dusty faces and the sore muscles, the exhilaration and the defeat are real. The demand for the blessing is real. And then there's that question. What is your name? 
It helps to remember where we've been with Jacob until this point. Jacob is the barely younger of twin boys born to Isaac and Rebekah, boys who were fighting with each other in the womb even before they were born. Esau arrives first and Jacob is right on his heels. In fact, grasping his brother's heel in the moment of their birth. And so that younger boy is named Jacob, which means heel gripper or supplanter, the trickster, the one to watch, the one who will take everything you thought belonged to you. More than once, Jacob lives into his name. <laughs> he cheats his brother out of his birthright by offering the hungry Esau a really well-timed bowl of stew. And then finally, when their father Isaac is old and his eyesight is poor, Jacob and his mother team up to steal the last thing that Esau should have had, his dying father's blessing. Rebecca dresses Jacob in Esau's clothing and to finalize this deception, she covers his smooth arms with animal skins so that when Isaac reaches out to feel his elder son's hairy arms, he won't realize who's really there. It works in one way. When Jacob walks into his father's room, even with his eyesight failing, Isaac senses that something is not right. Perhaps Isaac knows how powerful a blessing is and doesn't want to give it to the wrong person. So he reaches out and feels Jacob's arms, which do indeed feel like Esau. But just to make sure, he asks, are you really my son Esau? What is your name? And Jacob, the heel grabber, Jacob the supplanter, Jacob the trickster, looks straight into his dying father's eyes and he lies. I am Esau your firstborn son, he says. You have to wonder if this is the moment flashing into Jacob's mind after he's wrestled all night long with a stranger. Jacob's always been on the lookout for a blessing. It's just that he's usually tried to steal it from someone else. Finally, brought to the ground by this opponent, limping from an injury he will carry the rest of his life, Jacob answers that question with the truth. No more lies, no more disguises. I am Jacob, he says. And then he's given the blessing that belonged to him all along. This new name, no longer the trickster, but the wrestler, the one who strives with God and with humans. It's after that long night of wrestling and struggle, when Jacob finally admits the truth of all that he's been and done, that he receives the blessing with his name on it. A new identity. And because over the generations that name Israel becomes the name of the whole people of God, then woven into that name is the blessing and the challenge that also have our name on them. We too. We are the ones who wrestle. There are a lot of ways to talk about this story, a lot of meanings, I think, but at least one of them is this, that by this riverbank, we learn that everything we are, 
our whole imperfect and messy, confused, turbulent, doubting, angry, fearful selves can be brought into the presence of God. That it's not only okay to struggle in our faith lives, it's expected, it's necessary. It's who we are supposed to be, the ones who wrestle with God, with ourselves, with each other, all for the sake of blessing. I don't say this lightly, but something in the story insists that blessing comes because we struggle, because we wrestle, because we wonder and doubt with God and with one another. Author and theologian Debbie Thomas puts it this way. She says, what I carry away from this story is the troubling but rock-solid truth that blessing and bruising are not mutually exclusive in the realm of God. That we can experience healing in brokenness. That if I want to engage with God, then I must expect to be changed in the process. And not always in ways that are painless or comfortable or easy. I can't say, I want the blessing, but not the limp. Sometimes, the blessing is the limp. Like many of us, most of us maybe, Jacob spent most of his life trying to avoid the struggle, trying to find any way around it. Lying, manipulating, running away, whatever he could do to find a road around the hard, painful wrestling match that was waiting for him. Insisting that he could find a blessing without that. But he couldn't. There was no way around. There was no real blessing without the struggle. The struggle was the blessing. Or, to be more precise, the blessing came only through the struggle. Again, <clears throat> not something <clears throat> to say lightly. Not every struggle brings a blessing. But when we try to avoid the struggle, insist there's an easier way, a way that doesn't involve our own sweat and blood and tears, we may also be missing the only blessing that has our names on it. This past Thursday, perhaps like many of you, I watched the memorial service for Congressman John Lewis. During the service, I heard a story about him that I had not heard before, about the day of the march on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Congressman Lewis, then 25 years old, wore a trench coat and carried a backpack, which you can see in the many photos of him that day. In an interview years later, when asked about the backpack, Congressman Lewis said this, I really thought we were going to be successful walking all the way from Selma to Montgomery. And somehow, some way, I thought maybe we would be arrested and we would go to jail. So while in jail, I wanted to have something to read. I had two books in the backpack. I wanted to have something to eat. I had one apple and one orange. You know I had been arrested and had been to jail before. The sad thing about being in jail for two or three days is that you need to brush your teeth. So I had a toothbrush and some toothpaste in there. And then he said, I don't know what happened to that backpack. I don't know what happened to the two books. I don't know what happened to the trench coat. 
One of the books was by a Harvard professor of political science. <clears throat> and the other book was by Thomas Merton, the monk. I just wished I had them. The Smithsonian and the Library of Congress are always asking me for them, asking me what happened to them. And I tell them, I really don't know. The reason, of course, that John Lewis didn't know what happened to the backpack or the trench coat or the apple and the orange or the toothpaste is because he and many others were beaten so badly by state and local officers on the bridge that day that they were lucky simply to survive. John Lewis suffered a fractured skull that day and a scar from that injury remained visible all of his life. The suffering on the bridge that day, the struggle of so many men and women, primarily black men and women, for so many years, that wrestling did bring about change. They hang on and hung on until there was a blessing out of it, the blessing with their names on it. We also know that the struggle for which they gave their blood and sweat and tears and lives is far from over. Now, John Lewis was a man of great integrity and honor and about as different from tricky, manipulative Jacob as you can get. But at the riverbank and on the bridge, about to cross over, these two men with barely the clothes on their bodies and the backpacks on their backs, they tell us this, that the blessing we want, the blessing we are seeking <clears throat> of true repentance and reconciliation is not going to come without a struggle. We will have to be uncomfortable. We will have to keep at it. And we don't get to point to someone else's struggle and try to steal it for ourselves. We have to live through our own. And yet both Jacob and John are here to tell us that when we hang on and refuse to let go, there may yet be a blessing. That as imperfect as we may be, as long as the night may seem, that streaks of light will come in the sky. That the holiest places are often the ones where God shows up in the dirt and the dust and the tears. And the limp we end up with may be just what we needed to change the way we walk and the direction we are going. May we have the courage of Jacob and John and all the beloved children of God to keep at our own struggles, the ones we need to be in with every breath we have until finally we get to the blessing. Amen. Oh,